1: Welcome to the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, September 2nd. It was a day at the 2022 US Open that left all of us asking at the end of it. It can't possibly be over, can it? And of course, the reason we're all feeling a bit melancholy coming off of day five of the year's final slam is because the remarkable career of Serena Williams has apparently come to a close. Serena knocked out in a three-set third-round battle that contained the sort of drama worthy of the stage. Simply put, Ila Tamjanovic was too good throughout the course of their match, Tom Yanovich fighting back as Serena served for the opening set to take the first 7-5, and at that point, you felt like Serena perhaps had dug herself too big of a hole, that after the physical affair that was her second round match, would she be able to dig out of a hole once again in the third round, while the answer was ultimately no, boy, did Serena go down fighting, and to take the second set 7-6 in the fashion that she did to fight off multiple match points in that final game hitting return winners moving forward to the net she went down swinging she went down in the sort of fashion that has just epitomized the competitive spirit that has defined again In our opinion here at Crack Rack, it's the greatest career in professional tennis history. So, of course, on today's show, I got to talk about the best thing I saw, which was that tamjanovic serena third round battle, but that was one of 16 exciting singles matches on the day, and I'm recording this late on Friday night, so... Neil Medvedev hasn't quite finished off his third round victory over Bing Wu. Hasn't quite set up what will be the best fourth round match in the men's singles draw between himself and Nick Kyrgios. But I got the chance to watch at least 15 minutes of all the 15 matches. And honestly, I've watched 15 minutes that first set of Medvedev-Ebing-Woo. So I got the chance to watch 15 minutes of every singles match that was played on the day today. And I know what you're thinking, Alex, it's a Friday. Shouldn't you have a life or things to do outside the house? During a Grand Slam, there is no life if you work in tennis. Tennis becomes your life. And by the way, there are far worse lives to be lived. So I'm not complaining here at Crack Rackets, but I just want you all to know I did have the chance to watch all these matches, see the biggest points as such. If we nerd out a little bit more on today's show than we have in prior episodes, just be warned. It's because I'm coming in hot having watched so much tennis on the day. As such, I got the chance to watch a lot of the top seeds on the men's and women's side thrive. There were no formal upsets barring an Ebing Wu comeback. No formal upsets on day five of this tournament. If a higher seed was in action, that higher seed ultimately ended up winning the match. And that's not to say a couple of top seeds weren't pushed. In particular, a couple of Ameri- Americans, excuse me, that's how you say that word, not Americans, but a couple of Americans did the pushing. And It was always going to be tough sledding for both Shelby Rogers and Tommy Paul. For Tommy in particular, he played over six hours of tennis in his first two victories, and ultimately to get through in five sets in the fashion he did over Sebi Korda in round two was particularly impressive and epitomizes the rise we've seen from Tommy over the past two months. To watch Tommy play at the level he did for the first four sets— and I know I'm getting sidetracked here. That's how emotional I am. It was that good a day of tennis again. To watch Tommy play at the level that he did today, even in ultimately dropping a five-set match to fifth-seeded Kasper Rude, you got to get excited if you're an American tennis fan. That future we dreamt about back in 2012, 13, 14, 15, when Kozlov, Tiafo, Paul, Fritz, Opelka, Escobedo, Donaldson, all these guys, Noah Rubin, you know, were thriving, at the junior and challenger level, it's starting to manifest itself in the professional game. And again, if Serena wasn't so particularly excellent, Tommy Paul versus Kasparud would have been the best thing I saw today. The first four sets of their match, spectacular. Now, ultimately, got a little fifth set bagel from Kasparud. But I want to break down the mechanics of that match, why I am so optimistic about tommy paul coming off of these last eight weeks of tennis of course it wasn't just Casper root who managed to survive Matteo Berrettini much better in his third round victory over andy murray and for Berrettini, all he does is make second weeks of grand slams grass courts clay courts hard courts unless you're nadal unless you're novak djokovic you're really not beating Matteo Berrettini at the slams right now. And so we can get into his success, how he managed to break down Murray in four sets, of course, another big Davidovich Fokina run, Nick Kyrgios playing the best tennis of his career as he has throughout the course of this season that's carried into this U.S. Open. And more than anything else, he's just in shape. And to watch him combined his exceptional and elite, serving, with just the fitness to show off the defensive skill set he's always possessed. It was special today against J.J. Wolf, and we can get into all of those men's matches, of course, again, on the women's side. Caroline Garcia, Ludmilla Samsonova, all the pre-tournament hype was real about each of those players. They thrived today. Samsonova should have in a matchup against Krunic, but to watch Garcia just you know, takes returns inside the baseline and pretty much on top of the service line as approach shots against Bianca freaking Andrescu, they're both playing well enough to win the tournament. And I will explain why I think as much, although I don't think it's a tough case to make here on today's show. So as I've alluded to here in this far too long introduction, we got a lot to discuss on today's podcast our recap of day five of the 2022 u.s open of course to all of you listeners tuning in a massive thank you to you from us here at cracked rackets august was our most listened to individual month in our history and that's a testament to all of you listeners who you know tune in not only to this show but our gsp ace of the days where i not only offer my picks but i offer previews thoughts on each day's matches those come out about 6 p.m every night so you can find them on our website, CrackedRackets.com, or just go hit that subscribe button to the Great Shot podcast feed. A thank you to all of you listeners who continue to tune in day in, day out. Uh, thank you to the new listeners who have joined us as well. And as always, a thank you to the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. Best equipment, best prices, one location, tennis-point.com use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off all sale items free 2-day shipping uh, for orders exceeding $75 and best of all a free can of Wilson Extra Duty tennis balls tennis-point.com the promo code is CR15 with that said let's get into it and i've already started on the best thing i saw on day number 5 of this event it has to be Serena Williams versus Ila Tomjanovic and little pronunciation lesson it's not Alia It is Isla. I want all of you listeners to know a little look behind the curtain here. I had to redo the intro five times because I kept just instinctually saying Alia and hearing Renee Stubbs say Isla. Obviously, Stubbs knows Tom far better than I ever will. So, Isla, the correct pronunciation for those of you who inevitably will be at a bar someday, and it'll be sports trivia, and it'll be tennis-related, and you'll be sitting there, and you'll go, I know tennis. And the question will be, who defeated Serena Williams in her final U.S. Open match? And, you know, all your friends will be looking at you, and they'll be like, Come on, Joe. Like, why don't you know the answer to this? You're our tennis guy. You're watching Challenger streams when we're getting ready to go out to the bar. Like, this is your moment. And you'll say, well... Not only do I know her last name is Tomjanovich, you're going to want to say Alia. How you p- correctly pronounce her name is Isla. So just a little lesson for all of you listeners to start today's show. Isla Tomjanovich, who of course has sniffed around this level of Grand Slam success for much of the past two seasons, most notably last year Wimbledon, she reaches the quarterfinals, and you know for her to beat Emma Raducanu, obviously that aged particularly well and you know she gets wins over Ostapenko Corne. She follows that up by making the third round US Open last year, beats Mardich who was seated at the time before getting knocked out by Carolina Pliskova. Obviously, she followed up those performances at the Slams this season, and it was a tough first round for her in Australia. She drew Paula Bedosa, top 10 seed. No shame in that loss. She reaches second round Roland Garros, but beats Conteve in round number one. She follows up last year's Wimbledon with a quarterfinal result at this year's Wimbledon, beats Teichman, beats Krachikova before a tough three-set loss to the eventual champion Elena Rabakina. No shame in any of the losses for Alia Tamjanovic. There you go. I did it again. Some of you are screaming at your podcast at Ayla Tamjanovic. No shame in her losses at the slam this season. And for her to get to this point, she had to work. Tough first round win over Mukova. Three set win over Rodina where she was down, I believe, 5-2 in that third set. And yet tonight, What we saw from Tom is the same thing we have seen from her throughout much of the past two years where, by the way, you look for Tom Janovich who turned 29 years old this May. She should be in the prime of her career. The numbers and the eye test suggest she is. She's just not going to beat herself. She's not going to make a lot of unforced errors. She's going to force you to do something excellent. And I think when we look at the big picture landscape of the WTA Tour, there are a lot of players who would qualify in that power tennis can do something excellent club. Certainly Ega. You feel like it's a horrible matchup for Tom because it is a little bit tougher for Tom to create from the center of the court. You look at players like Sabalenka, Rabakina, Samsonova, you know, players who on their best, they just have these weapons that can overwhelm you, uh, it feels like on their best days, they're definitely going to beat in Isla Tomjanovic. And then there's the brand of physical players, Conteve and, you know, Sakari and Bedosa, who either match or exceed Tomjanovic's physicality or are just a little bit better at creating from the center of the court. That said, Tomjanovic is an excellent litmus test, a gateway of are you a top 50 player? You know, can you not only create and do something special, but do you have the physicality to sustain that creation? Over the course of two and a half, or in this instance, three hour, five minute match. And ultimately, Serena came damn close. But ultimately, the answer to the question was no. And you look for Serena Williams, who will absolutely be kicking herself because in set number one, Serena served, obviously, uh, for the opening set at 5-4. And, you know, while she, I believe, was never able to get to a set point, she did ultimately have that opportunity to serve out the set and just wasn't quite able to do it, Um Look, for Serena, you're kicking yourself there. And then second set, it's a complete reverse of fortune, right? Tamjanovich, after sneaking out of that first set, goes up 5-3 in set number two, and something clicked for Serena. And she evoked the magic that only a 23-time Grand Slam singles winner can. And, I mean, you look at the numbers for Serena Williams. 49 winners against 51 on four Considering how much creation... She had to do from the center of the court, how aggressive she had to be because she wasn't beating Tamjanovic in the rallies that went 10 shots or further. And, you know, she wasn't going to uh, beat Tamjanovic pushing because Tamjanovic would then, and she did a really good job of doing this in set number three, step up and take that plus one forehand, short angle cross court. And Serena was really struggling to move to her right by the end of that match. But, you know, again, the side-to-side movement is something Serena Williams wanted to avoid as frequently as possible. And She did a really good good job of doing that in this match. Again, I mentioned the 49 winners against 51 unforced errors. She was 29-42 at the net hit a ton of swinging volleys, you know, sneaking forward whenever Tom was pushed six feet behind the baseline, are clearly going to throw up some sort of defensive lob, and Serena was good on the overhead tonight. She hit 11 aces, albeit against seven uh, double faults, but I have no problem with her being more aggressive on the second serve from a tactical standpoint, because again, Serena Williams needs to be dictating from the center of the court. And look, Serena broke to start the third set. It felt like, all right, like we're back where we were. Wednesday night against uh, Annette Conteve where Serena is now the front runner and she gets to be the aggressor. And with how she started serving better from 5-3 down in that second set and, you know, you look for Serena, her highest first serve percentage of any of the sets was in set number two. She made 47% of her first serves in set one. That's Nishkeet, as my people say. Not really great. Third set, she made 58%. That second set, she made 65% of her first serve seven of her 11 aces came in set number two where you know she was able to dictate with that first serve and she was 14 of 19 at the net in that set she played a great tiebreaker to close out set number two and then you know connects on a couple of forehand returns was able to be that aggressor goes out to an early break lead she's got the 25,000 people on their feet roaring for her in between you know Tomyanovic misses his first serve the crowd goes crazy and credit to Tomyanovic who made 62 percent of her first serves against that hostile crowd and I will say I think her nine double faults, seven of them you got to give credit to the crowd for um but Tommy was just rock solid 32 winners against 30 on four stairs for the match. Again, she made she made 62% of her first serves. She won 29 of 45 points as on the return, uh, the second serve return, she treated that ball like an approach shot and didn't necessarily follow it to the net, but had that ball either A, deep at the feet of Serena Williams, or B, and more importantly, in the outer thirds of the court. And again, you look for Tom Yanovich this season. She's winning over fifty-six percent of her matches now on the year, sixty-one percent overall. She's thirty-one and twenty it's the first time in her career she's won over 60% of her matches in a single season. And you look at the numbers, hold percentage, she's holding 63.9% of the time. Now, is that below the average of a top 50 player? You look for Tomjanovic. Yes, the average of that top 50 player, 70.8%. Ila, uh, I did it again, Ila Tomjanovic uh, ranks 46th amongst top 50 players in hold percentage. That said, You look at the break percentage for Tamjanovic, she's break and serve 36.9% of the time. That is right above the average of a top 50 player, which is 36.2, making her the 24th best returner amongst top 50 players, according to Tennis Abstract. Again, if you can create with elite power, if you have something, an elite weapon that you're comfortable repeating for the course of two hours, you can beat Ila Tamjanovic. But you have to be that good, that consistently, for that long. And Serena Williams was that good, just she couldn't sustain it for that long. And a credit to Serena, who again fights off, what, five match points, four match points, one of them with a ridiculous up-the-line return winner, and she's moving forward, hitting the ball, and you even felt like on that last match point, she had that forehand, up-the-line approach shot, which she had made so consistently with her back against the wall that game, you felt like she was going to make it. You felt like Serena was never out of it, and... We've gone through the stats so many different times on this show of what Serena Williams has accomplished, the fact that she's one of two players in history with the Golden Slam in the women's game to win all four Slam singles titles plus an Olympic gold medal in singles. One of two players in history, and she accomplished that after the age of 30. She's one of just five players with the career slam in singles and doubles, one of, only, of the only player with 10 slams after the age of 30, the only player with 10 plus slam titles in two different decades. She's you know second at all time behind Margaret Court in the single slams. And that's not including what, the 14 double slams? She's won as well. She's the greatest of all time. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You look for Serena Williams, and I think a number that stands out to me um, is you look for Serena and just her ability in particular to raise the profile of the sport. She made over $94 million in prize money throughout the course of her career. And you look at the athletes, I believe in 2020, nine of the top 10, and I know that was a COVID year, but nine of the top 10 female athletes in terms of income on the year were female tennis players. 2019, it was eight out of 10. 2021, it was six out of 10, but four of the top five were all women's tennis players. Serena's weight raised the profile of the sport. And why, in my opinion, are there so many great American female tennis players? It's because the best female athletes in the country you know, they don't, they don't want to play football. They don't want to, well, some do want to play football and basketball, et cetera, but the very best want to play tennis because the very best athletes have watched the very best athlete in Serena Williams do her thing for 25 years now. And it's just, you know, again, she's the best athlete of my lifetime. It's her, it's LeBron, it's Tom Brady. And, you know, again, Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, all tie for me in that final spot. But, the longevity, the sustain excellence, the competitive will, the influence on future generations of the sport. We're going to do a full Serena. Let's look back at the career, what she's meant with someone far smarter than me on the topic. But why was that the best thing I saw today? The crowd's reaction. I mean, every time they panned the camera, it was someone different who was famous. Russell Wilson, Sierra in the box, and Alexis Ohanian's reactions. Just, you know, Venus, the stoic nature of Venus throughout the course of the match just again celebrities everywhere it was funny they were showing a random camera pan and I'm not gonna lie I'm a sports nerd but the head coach of the LA Clippers Ty Lu, was just sitting casually in the crowd and they didn't even refer to Ty Lu as a professional freaking NBA head coach is sitting in the crowd and it's like yeah but let's go look at seal or let's go look at whomever is in the crowd uh on the given match again there have been so many celebrities there it's tough to keep track but credit to isla she was just rock solid off both wings hit the forehand approach particularly well that short angle was effective and now you look for tamjanovic again quarterfinals of last year's wimbledon quarterfinals of this year's wimbledon you look for her now in her career it's her uh fourth round of sixteen. At the Slam, she made a roll on Garros round of 16 back in 2014. And, you know, it's her first on hard court and first at the U.S. Open. And you look for Tamjanovic, who obviously was one of the players most negatively impacted by the lack of points being offered at Wimbledon. Even without those Wimbledon points, she's 42 in the live rankings, which is four off her career high of 38. If she had Wimbledon quarterfinal points on her resume right now, she would be top 35. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, and so credit to Tom Yanovich who has a really tough matchup now against Ludmilla Samsonova, who is where I want to go next uh, when we talk about this day because when we start to get to, well, who won and lost the day, of course, a new segment we have done here on our mini-break podcast this week. I think Ludmilla Samsonova, Caroline Garcia, and all of the pre-tournament favorites have to be considered one of the biggest winners of day five of this event. And just to quickly go through the Samsonova match, because we didn't really learn anything particularly new about Ludmilla Samsonova, but she does earn her 13th consecutive victory, which ties her now with Bernarda Pera for the second longest win streak on the WTA tour this season. I mean, Samsonova was just in command from start to finish and never tested in her 3-3 three and three victory over Alexandra Krunic. Now, you look for Samsonova. I mean, the numbers are fairly steady for the unseeded, but now you look for Samsonova with her fourth-round appearance here. She's up to number 28 in the live rankings, I mean, again, for Samsonova throughout the course of today's match, she won 68% of her first serve points, 21 winners against 21 unforced errors. You know, she was broken once throughout the course of the match, and I think that's the key thing because Samsonova only made 54% of her first serves today, and she's averaging 59% for the season. The reason I bring that up, she served poorly against Krunic, who really did a good job of using her athleticism, her speed of – Beat Sampsonova to the spot. She didn't have to generate anything because Sampsonova provided her all the pace she could ever need. And if you provide Kroonich pace, she is a good enough athlete to redirect the ball, come up with impressive shots. But Ultimately, the pace, the power, the relentlessness of Samsonova just overwhelmed her. And Samsonova gets an early break in set number two. And, you know, from there, it's just on cruise control. And how she gets the breaks in set number one, you know, the first break she secures with this ridiculous backhand, short angle, backhand down the line combination. The second break she secures with just an overwhelming forehand down the line. It's the relentless power in so many different ways and the consistency with which she does it again. 21 winners against 20. 21 unforced errors. She's now won 26 of her last 28 sets. So not only 13 consecutive victories, she's only lost two sets during that course of time. Now one of them was to Ila Tamjanovic, who she will face in round number four. But a I think for Samsonova to not have to face Serena and the 25,000 people, because when you look for Ludmilla Samsonova, yes, again, mathematically to win uh, 26 of your last 28 sets. And, you know, against players ranked outside the top 50 now, she's lost just 26 total games in 16 total sets that she's played during this stretch of time. 26 games in 16 sets, a lot of 6-1s, a lot of 6-0s, and that's including today's 6-3, 6-3 results. Now, if you're going to hold that anything against Samsonov, you're going to say, well, what's her best win? She beat a Fernandez, who was, has played fewer than five matches since Roland Garros and played really well in the second set, but played really one good set of tennis. Outside of that, you know, Kanepi took her to three sets. Kamjanovic took her to three sets. Yeah, she smoked Sasnovic, smoked Para in Cleveland, but they're not top tier contenders. She doesn't have a definitive top 10 win during this stretch of time. Okay, that's a fair thing to bring up. But then you counter with, well, she's blitzing everyone she's supposed to beat. She's won 26 of her last 28, uh, excuse me, 24 of her last 26 sets now. I mean, 13 consecutive wins speaks for itself. It's that she can do everything so well. And, you know, now she's up to second in terms of hold percentage on the WTA Tour. She has that elite skill. She seems to be clicking on the return of serve as well, which is really when she's at her most dangerous. I'm all in. On Ludmilla Samsonova who cruises and is just living up to the pre-tournament hype and you know you look according to the tennis abstract formula now we have reached the round of 16 of course odds all updated Iga Svantec 36.4% chance of winning the tournament she's the overwhelming favorite then you go Onjabor 12.8 Goff 12.5 Collins 5.5 and then Samsonova and Pagula tied at 3.9%. Tennis Abstract has her as a top 5 contender going into, you know, this or I should say still second half of the round of 32 to go, but of the final what 16 plus 8 24 players in the field, they have her as a top 5 contender. You know, our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook have her as a top 5 contender. She's now 11 to 1 to win the title. All in ludmila samsonova all in on caroline garcia as well of course you look for caroline garcia who is the cincinnati champion and was obviously one of the pre-tournament favorites she's now up to number two in the pre-tournament favorites plus 900 uh, odds to win that second only behind Iga Swiatek. garcia was freaking dominant in a straight set victory today over Bianca Andrescu. Garcia just again overwhelms her. 6'3, 6'2 victory. And Garcia, who of course ranks number one right now on the WTA tour in hold percentage. She's holding 79.8% of the time. She didn't serve well today. Only made 55% of her first serve. She was broken twice throughout the course of the match, but seemed to be constantly under pressure on serve. You know, she gets the opening break. In set number two, Andreescu breaks her right back to level the set. She gets the opening break to go up, I believe, 4-2 or maybe it was 3-2. In set number one, Andrescu gets that break of serve right back and yet every time you know Garcia drew first blood it felt like Andrescu responded but no then Garcia just kept scrapping away the big number for me in this match uh Bianca Andrescu 23 of 53 on serve throughout the course of this match she made 68% of her first serves she won only 44% of her first serve points andrescu in this match 11 winners 13 unforced errors you're going to say 13 unforced errors. Isn't that remarkably low, Alex? Well, that's because nothing was on her terms. Garcia blitzed her from start to finish. And by the end of this match, it was almost disrespectful where Caroline Garcia was standing on the return of serve. Garcia was on top of the service line, just firing away, forehands on the rise, backhands on the rise, at the feet of Bianca Andreescu, following that ball in. She goes 14 of 24 at the net, You know, 31 winners against 20 unforced errors. Garcia is just playing extraordinarily confident. And of course, Caroline Garcia is a former world number four. She's won multiple slam titles in doubles. The biggest difference is that She's just fitter than she was four years ago or five years ago whenever it was Garcia reached number four. Yeah, September 2018, so four years ago. She's a fitter player now than she was then. She moves so extraordinarily well forward into the court and just, again, asserting her position, beating you to the spot, taking that ball on the rise, using her strength to drive through that ball so that it does penetrate the court. She just had Andrescu on her back foot from start to finish. And to watch Garcia, you know, who again is broken back for three all, how does she get that break right back for 4 3? Backhand on the rise, down the line, return winner. To hit that ball after being immediately broken back by Andrescu, it just speaks to the confidence Garcia is playing with right now. And you look for Caroline Garcia, who. Again, Cincy tennis champion has obviously shot up the rankings. She's currently sitting at 13th in the live rankings. Garcia now also up to 8th in the points race. She's been incredible over this stretch. I believe now 29-4 and overall since the start of that run in Bad Homburg. I don't care who you're playing. 29-4 29-4 and four speaks for itself. Of course, she does have signature victories. Kvitova, Sabalenka, Pagula, Sakari in Cincinnati. She beat Iga in Warsaw. You know, now she's beaten Andrescu here and dropped only five games on her way to uh, that victory. And you look for her now, obviously, uh, Garcia wins, what, coming through qualifying, eight matches in Cincinnati, three matches here at the U.S. Open, an 11-match win streak, top five longest win streaks on tour of the year. Garcia's playing as well as any player in the event. And you always wonder, you win a big title. We saw Borna Chorich knocked out by Brooksby in round number two. Was there going to be a hiccup here for Garcia playing a player in Bianca Andrescu who played some of her best tennis against Beatrice Haddad Maia in round number two? And, you know, Garcia had just beaten Andrescu in Bad Hamburg in that final in three sets. So, you know, perhaps Andrescu having seen that Garcia serve before would be better prepared That was not the case. Garcia just overwhelming. Bianca Andreescu was in control from start to finish again, earns that first break of serve. And yes, seeded did that break back, but was always in command in this match. Six, three, six, two definitive serve down the T two ended. Caroline Garcia into the round of 16. And, you know, again, I mentioned Garcia's double success at the majors. She's also had some single success at the slams as well. You look for her overall now in her career, Caroline Garcia, uh, into the round of 16 for the seventh time at a major obviously she did it at Wimbledon where she was knocked out by Buskova she's now done it at every major in her career and you know got 28 years old you've made the fourth round of every major Roland Garros three tw- times Wimbledon twice Australia once now she's done it here at the U.S. Open she's one in five in those previous six round of 16 occasions but that's how you make a career folks and Again, Garcia could very well end this season as a top 10 player, given how little points she has to defend uh, down the home stretch of the year. But look, you, you talk about the pre-tournament contenders. Caroline Garcia going to take on Allie Risk. Allie Risk was not one of those pre-tournament contenders, but Coco Gauff certainly was. Gauff top five according to Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast. She was top five according to DraftKings as well. Gauff, maybe her victory of the season a 6263 dare i say dominant performance against Madison Keys and you look for Coco Gauff she hit only 7 winners in this match against 14 unforced errors but it was kind of the opposite of the Bianca Andreescu statistic where yes those numbers sound low and yes Madison Keys did a lot of big hitting from the center of the baseline but Goff's defense today was out of this world, and in particular because Madison Keys was not shy about attacking the Coco Goff forehand, which has notably been her weakness early in the course of her career, the extremity of her extremity, the extreme nature of her grip, uh, how big that backswing can get. You feel like you can overwhelm that Goff forehand with pace. Not today. She was ready for Keys to attack that forehand wing. And in particular, to watch Coco Goff just minimize her backswing, take the pace that Keys provided her, absorb it, redirect it in every different direction for Coco Goff, who gets broken in the opening service game of the match. How does Goff respond? Well, she breaks Keys right back. And how does she do do it? You know, incredible defense where she tracks down a Keys overhead, gets a lob over Keys' head, Coco just flashed her athleticism. And I mentioned Caroline Garcia has now reached the fourth round of all four majors. Coco Golf has reached the fourth round of all four majors. And she's done it by the age of, you know, before turning 19 years old. Extraordinarily special. You know, Sviantec hadn't quite done that by the time she turned 19. Now she did it by the time she turned 20. But, you know, Sviantec hadn't quite done that. Um, I'd have to go back and look. I'm certain Halep didn't do it. Maybe Wozniacki did. Obviously, the Williams sisters are a little bit different breed, and you always hesitate before comparing anyone to them. Or Monica Sellis, Martina Hingis, the truly elite of the elite teenagers in WTA Tour history. Maria Sharapova should put some respect on her name as well. That's the Mount Rushmore Five of teenagers, and in particular, the four you'd turn to. Uh, Sellis, Hingis, Serena, Sharapova, Goff's not quite on that list yet, but she's starting to hover. You know, again, having made a Grand Slam final at Roland Garros, having now become a top 10 player this early in her career, and now have made the fourth round of each and every major this early in her career. It just forecasts a really fun 15, dare we say, if it's serena ask 22 years. I mean, that's getting a little greedy, but... Goff was just so exceptional today, and it wasn't just the defensive skills, her ability to absorb the first strike of keys. It was the punishment she dished out on offensive as well, making 68% of her first serves, 69% first serve win percentage. If she has time on that forehand, she's plenty comfortable blitzing it as a plus one ball. And then the backhand's always been special, and her ability to redirect that ball, cross line, generate pace on the line in particular. I was so extraordinarily impressed by Coco Goff, who has just gotten better this season. And you look at the numbers for her now, Coco Goff overall on the year, now 33 and 16. You look for her last season, she was 36 and 16. And there's still more tournaments to go. So you feel like Goff is going to get three more wins. Of course, Coco Goff up to number nine in the live rankings. That's a career high. She's fifth in the points race. And there's a 400-plus point gap between her and eighth-place Caroline Garcia, Goff might make the world year-end finals before turning 19 years old. And again, that puts you in special special sort of territory, of course. You look for Coco Goff now overall on the year uh, against top 20 players. That's her fifth top 20 win on the season. She's gotten two of them during this North American hard court stretch and you know again, you look for her at the majors this season. Obviously, finals of Roland Garros, third round Wimbledon where she played a really fun three-set match against Denise Mova the only disappointment was the first round loss in Australia but that was so long ago. And if you think she was the same player in she's the same player now that she was in January, you're just sadly mistaken. Again, the biggest sign of growth for Coco Goff. her first round losses this year and I know I did this a couple days ago, but Australian Open was tough. Jesk Pagula in D- Dubai, no shame in that. Kasakina in Stuttgart, no shame in that. First round Buzkova but she rolls her ankle no shame in that. So only that Australian Open loss and only four first-round losses in 17 total events. You go 13-4 in the first match, you're in the ball game. And obviously for Coco Goff now overall on the season, I'm going to count this round of 16 as an additional quarterfinal. She's now made, you know, a seventh significant run at a tournament. Six quarterfinals coming into the year. Toronto, San Jose, Berlin, Roland Garros, Doha, Adelaide. Now round of 16 U.S. Open as well. Putting herself in the ballgame for the big matches. And certainly she has an advantageous matchup in Jung Shui. Uh, Shui, a 2-4 and win over Rebecca Marino. Big run for Jung Shui. Certainly you look now uh, overall for her. She is, I believe, up. And I don't want to be incorrect here. You look for Jung Shui up to number 29 in the live ranking, six off the career high of the 33-year-old, but perhaps more importantly now into the round of 16 at a Grand Slam for uh, just the fourth time in her career, first since Roland Garros 2020, and she has now also—it's just a theme here, completing the cycle. Garcia, now all four—round of 16 at all four slams. Coco Gauff, round of 16 at all four slams. Jung Shui! Round of 16 at all four slams. Don't tell me we're not making you smarter tennis fans here at Cracked Rackets. And again, Jung Shui really solid off of both wings, but does she have an overwhelming weapon to hurt Coco Golf with? No, and I think if we've seen anything from Coco this season is that she's more comfortable creating from the center of the court when given time and you know, then is able to use those defensive skills to help her work her way back in the match or separate herself from opponents Goff is a 77.1% favorite right now against Jungshui, according to Tennis Abstract. So again, Goff, Garcia, uh, both pre- – uh, and Samsonova, all pre-tournament favorites – who, in my opinion, looked exceptional uh, throughout the course of today's action. Of course, with that in mind, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about some of the men's matches we saw unfold today. In particular, I got to go back to that Kasparu-Tommy Paul five-set affair. And Tommy's going to be kicking himself because he was up a break in the second, uh, in, yeah, excuse me, in set number three, only to seed that break right back to Casper Ruud, And, you know, he was up an early break in set number two, but let Casper come back and let that set tighten a little bit. But the big thing for him, six, five, 40 love set number three. Tommy had three set points on his racket, two tough errors. Now two errors in the course of him trying to be the aggressor as he had to be at course at times in this match. And again, Tommy had played six plus hours of tennis coming into this third round affair this week. Certainly he had a little wear and tear on the body, but man, did Tommy come close to pulling off the upset today. And if he's just able to make one of those plus one balls up six, five 40 love in the third set, I think he wins this match against Casper rude because You know, the level through the first four sets was just exceptional. Tommy going side to side, just forehand, backhand, absorbing, redirecting, inflicting some damage on his own with his plus one forehand. You look for Tommy in this match, you know, 61 winners throughout the course of this, 24 more than Caspar Root. Of course, he also hit 82 unforced errors, but... Tommy showed an ability to generate elite offense against an elite defensive, elite physical opponent in the fifth seed and fifth highest ranked player in the world in Casper Rude. And look, Tommy, five of six on breakpoint chances. Rude had a bunch more, seven of 18. There's no doubt, particularly by the end of this match. And obviously the six love set sort of lopsides things, um, There's no doubt Kasparud was playing more offense in this match more easily. His forehand was the single biggest and most replicable weapon on the court. But man, Tommy found so many different ways to compete in this match, whether it was his ability to turn defense into offense, some of the short angle cross-court passes he came up with, or just an ability to dip that first passing shot at the feet of Kasparud, then use his athleticism to come up with the second shot pass. Tommy did everything well. I have no complaints. I have only praise for Tommy Paul, who since the start of that run, he's made, you know, Queens Club Eastbourne quarterfinals back to back fourth round Wimbledon through this U.S. Open third round. He's 15 and eight, but he's holding 82.7 percent of the time. That's 0.7 above the average of a top 50 player right now. So that would put him in the top 25. He's breaking serve 26.5 percent of the time. That's three percent, three and a half percent above the average of a top 50 player and would put him top 20. 20 in hold and break percentage. He's one of the 12 guys over this 8 week stretch who would be rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. He's been that good. There's just not a vulnerability in his game because he has the ability now to generate plus one with the forehand. His backhand has always been special in its ability to absorb redirect pace. He's always been a comfortable volleyer. He's always been a plus level athlete, you know, pound for pound strength. Yeah, it takes him a little bit more effort to generate from the baseline, but he's plenty capable of doing it. And speed wise, fluidity wise, I'll take Tommy Paul's movement next to just about anyone on the ATP Tour. I'm thinking in my head, Demon Hour, maybe, obviously, Prime Feast you always respect. But I'll put Tommy Paul in that conversation with just about anyone, and yet – Casperud's got to be one of your biggest winners on day number five because Rood wins the freaking match. And for Casper, thirty-seven winners against fifty on four stairs, but really started to put the pressure on Tommy by moving forward as the match progressed. And Casper, an efficient thirty-two of forty-five at the net, he started hitting his backhand more aggressively, in particular, more aggressively cross court and following that ball in. And you know, again. Being unafraid to attack inside in with his forehand and just go after Tommy on the run and trust that over the course of four and a half hours, as this match was, Tommy would eventually wear down from a physical perspective. And he did in set number five. And once again, Kasparud just shows off you got to be damn good to beat Kasparud, who's now 41 and 15 overall on the season, 31 and 9 against opponents ranked outside the top 20. Of course, he's 10 and 6 against top 20 opponents opponents as well. He's holding serve over 86% of the time this season. That's a top 20 number. The break percentage started off poor. To start the year, but it's worked his way back up to 22.6, which is just outside the top 25. But you know, again, after a tough clay court, grass court stretch, that break percentage has worked itself back up. And again, you just look over the past two years for Casper at the big events at you know the Masters events last season: semifinals Monte Carlo, semifinals Madrid, quarters Cincinnati, Canada, and Paris. You look for him this season: finals Miami, semifinals Rome, semifinals. Canada. He just shows up to the big events, and now he's got a Grand Slam final at Roland Garros to go along with this Roland uh, U.S. Open round of 16. Of course, he made Australian Open round of 16 last season, a Wimbledon round of 16 away from completing his, reached the second week at all four Slam cycles is just one of those guys, and you look in the rankings now for Kasparud, currently sitting at number fourth overall in the live rankings. That's a career high for him. By the way, Tommy Paul, 28th in the live rankings, which would be a career high uh, for TP. Of course, Rude, fourth in the points race. Tommy Paul, 28th in the points race. It's all working. For Casperud again, just you have to do something elite if you want to beat Casperud, or you have to be one of those unique lefties like a Rafael Nadal, like you know, just a guy who has the sort of serve that can expose the rude backhand and has the sort of backhand that can expose the rude backhand over and over and over again. That you can attack that weakness, but you have to have an elite skill because it's not really a weakness for Casperud. It's just not as good as his forehand. But now for Rude you know again do things get easier you could argue yes as he is taking on a lefty but a lefty in quarantine Mute, who has to be one of the winners of the day as well as quarantine Mute becomes the first qualifier in U.S. Open men's singles history to reach the fourth round of the event Mute ultimately earning a four set victory today was down four love in the fourth but comes back to knock out Pedro Kashin and you know again we always respect the firsts here at Crack Rackets. Oh, excuse me, not the first qualifier. Quarantine Mute, the first lucky loser to reach the men's fourth round at The U.S. Open, he's the first to reach the fourth round of a slam on the men's side as a lucky loser since Stéphane Robert uh, did it at the 2014 Australian Open. The other players who qualified and make the second week in the last three decades. Dick Norman, Wimbledon, 95, before I was born. David Goffin, Roland Garros, 2012. And now lucky loser Quarantine Moutet on that list. And the lefty is just creative. It's, you know, not to paint all French... Players with the same brush, but he and Hugo Gaston, two lefties who are just so quick, so creative, such exceptional feel. I liked Moutet. The action on the Mute serve and the 23-year-old now by reaching the fourth round, he goes from outside the top 100, raises 30 spots in the rankings from 112 up to number 82. That changes your schedule. You get to go play the Noor Sultans and the Antwerps, the 250 indoor ATP events, because top 100 ranking at a minimum gets you into qualifying, but very likely gets you into the main draw. So, credit to Quarantine Moutet, who has made the most of having some seeds knocked out of his section into the fourth round of a slam, I believe, for the second time in his career. I don't want to be incorrect on that, but I'm fairly certain I am right uh, for Quarantine Moutet. In fact, all right, now I got to look it up. Don't worry. It'll take three clicks, folks, for Quarantine muté Round of 16 at the Grand Slams in a major. Shout out to Tennis Abstract. Nope, my brain doesn't work. This is his first round of 16 at a major. He's made the round of 32 two prior times, but it's his first time getting through to the round of 16. Got to enjoy that paycheck. The rankings points that come with it as well. So shout out to Pedro Cachin, who will now take on Kasparu. That was the only men's match, though, on the day that went the distance, and I mentioned the fact that not only did no match go the distance, you didn't have a lower-ranked seed beat a higher-ranked seed, nor an unseeded player beat a seed on day number five of this event. It was a tough day for British men's tennis, though. And it definitely starts with Andy Murray. Credit to Matteo Berrettini. He was freaking excellent today uh, in his four-set victory. Berrettini, a 6-4, 6-4, 6-7, 6-3 win over Andy Murray, where If we're being honest, Murray was kind of lucky to ultimately even get to a fourth set in that match. It just felt like Andy Murray was down love 30 in each of the first five service games that he played at least in that third set and was always coming from behind because the Berrettini serve forehand, it established itself as the elite combo in this match. Berrettini, 18 aces on the day, won 74% of his first serve points, only faced four break points against one of the greatest returners in tennis history, even if it's not that Andy Murray anymore. Berrettini faces just four break points. He's broken twice in the match, but was up in early break in set number two uh, before seeding that break back to Murray. He was also down an early break in the fourth set, Murray, with all of this momentum before Berrettini was able to get that break back. Now, Berrettini 5 of 15 on break point chances, and his Continued unwillingness to run around his backhand return and just go after his forehand. And even if you miss that ball, I think him missing a forehand return sometimes is honestly more effective than him just floating that backhand return back in play. That said, boy, when Berrettini got looks at the forehand today, even when it was on the run... It's just an elite forehand and credit to Andy Murray who abandoned the slice immediately after set number one because you never want to slice to Berrettini. If you give him time, he's running around the ball hitting a forehand. Andy Murray kept attacking. Murray 20 of 37 at the net. You know, he was comfortable hitting the forehand inside in trying to Forced Matteo Berrettini to come up with the goods on the run. Berrettini was just able to come up with the goods on the run. Again, 55 winners against 51 unforced errors, 31 of 48 at the net, played so much better in this round than he did against Hugo Grenier in round number two. And you look for Matteo Berrettini, he's into the round of 16 for the seventh time in his career at a major. Now, he's already reached the fourth round at every major, but you look for Berrettini now, fourth round at the U.S. Open for the fourth consecutive season season it's now his sixth major out of the last eight that he's reached at least the round of 16 and of course injuries covid kept him out uh kept him unhealthy at Roland Garros and Wimbledon this season so I believe now round of 16 that means in his last six majors that he's played of course again you look for Matteo Berrettini who have his losses been at these last six majors well uh for Matteo Berrettini since the start of the 2021 season Withdraws against Pass in the Australian Open, Open round of 16. Outside of that, djokovic Roland Garros, Djokovic-Wimbledon, Djokovic-US Open, Rafa at this year's Australian Open. Again, he's made at least the round of 16 in his last six, and his last four losses have been to Djokovic, 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 and Rafa. You're just not beating Matteo Berrettini unless you can do something elite because Matteo Berrettini holding serve 89% of the time. The break percentage, while you know, still outside the top 25, slowly creeps up and up. It's, you know, hovering around 18% this year. You feel like if he can get over 20%, you know now if he's breaking serve once a set he's not losing a lot of sets and you just feel like Matteo is getting to the round of 16 he's a, a bastion of certainty in an otherwise parody filled time on the ATP tour so credit to Berrettini credit to Murray who You know, again, found ways to survive, whether it was aces up the tee, whether it was, again, continuing to move forward and just pressure Barantini. Yeah, it was 21 of 40 at the net, but there were a lot of forced errors that ultimately didn't count as net points for Andy Murray. I think if you're Murray coming off of this U.S. Open, coming off of the big slams this season, you're now up to number 43 in the live rankings. You're not going to need as many wild cards to get in. If you have a good Australian Open, you know, a little 250 success at the end of this season, you will be seated at the 2022 Australian Open. And, you know, now life becomes a little easier in round number one, round number two, and you put yourself in positions to continue to play the Berrettinis of the world. And Murray today showed he could compete at that level again wins that second that third set seven six goes up an early break in the fourth and just his legs kind of gave out from underneath him given the relentless pressure of Berrettini but the pressure Berrettini provides is elite sorts of pressure so again Tough for British tennis fans who lose Andy Murray in this event, but I ultimately think a good result for Andy Murray, big picture, and for his prospects heading into the 2023 slams, of course. The other tough day for British men's tennis, Jack Draper looked like he had found a rhythm. You know, drops the first set, 6-3 to Hatchnov. He's down a set and a break, 2-1 as well. And then the -the on-the-run magic starts. Draper coming up with the backhand on the run passing shots, Starts serving and volleying more, dictating with his plus-one forehand. Unfortunately, pulled his groin and even in building a 5-2 lead in the third set, it was because Hatchinoff was playing horrible and the forehand was spraying and just – you could tell he was starting to yell at himself. He was being indecisive moving forward because Draper's athleticism had put that sort of pressure on him. And Karen Hatchinoff, ultimately, again, the beneficiary, wins four straight games. Draper, you could tell, just couldn't move, pulls out of the match, retires due to injury. Hatchinoff into another fourth round at the U.S. Open. His first fourth round at the U.S. Open, I believe he's now completed the quadfecta as well, reaching the fourth round at all four slams. I mean, three out of five sets on paper, and there are 10 minutes where you watch Karen Hashtenov, and you're like, why isn't he top 10 in the world? That served that forehand, the physicality, the drive on his backhand when he's leaning into it, but then there are the five-minute blips where you're like, oh, it's because when that forehand starts spraying on him, you just lose confidence, and you lose that rhythm, and you can lose pretty quickly, as he did going down that set in 5-2 in sets two and three. That said, Hatchinoff through. To the fourth round, where now he is going to face Pablo Carreño Busta. Carreño Busta, another impressive win as Carreño Busta earns a four-set victory over Alex Demon Hour. Demon Hour is horrible through the first hour of this match. It was one in one. carreno Busta led in about an hour, 10 minutes. And, you know, Demon Hour made like 50% of his first serves through the first hour of the match. But then Stephen started to creep forward, started to, you know, impose himself a little bit more behind his own forehand, you know, really started to attack the boost Busta forehand as opposed to letting Cranio Busta dictate with it out of the ad side corner. Instead, he dug himself too big a hole. And the shot of the tournament. Unequivocally, Correño Busta, match point 6-5, moves forward. Demon Hour hits an incredible low backhand passing shot. Net exchange, Demon Hour lobs the ball over Correño Busta's head. Correño Busta hits an on-the-run tweener lob that draws a Demon Hour error. cranio Busta through to the fourth round once again at the U.S. Open. I mean, the Canada champ is feeling himself. And, you know, he is one of the 11 guys to rank top 25 in hold and break percentage of Generation Dimitrov. You know, Dimitrov. Nishikori, if you want to put Delpo in that group or Chilich, whatever, even though they're a little bit older. I mean, you probably feel more confident about Kareño Busta than you do any other guy. Rayanich would be in that conversation. You feel more confident about Kareño Busta than you do any other guy in that lost generation. Just another efficient fourth-round performance for him. Uh, certainly, again, at this point, let's just get into it, run through the rest of the day's results, and we'll wrap up the men's side here. It does look like Daniil Medvedev sets up that blockbuster match uh, with uh, Nick Kyrgios as Medvedev Ultimately, a 6-4, 6-2, 6-2 run over clearly a wary Ebing Bing Wu. But, look, Medvedev's playing great. Kyrgios was phenomenal in a 6-4, 6-2, 6-3 victory today over J.J. Wolf. Kyrios 21 aces, 36 winners against 32 unforced errors. When 77% of his first serve points fought off all seven break points that he faced in I don't think JJ Wolf made a return on a break point till his fourth break point effort of the match. Kiros is in control and He's fit as he's ever been. You look for Nick Kyrgios now, 33-9 and overall in the year. He's played 42 matches here this season. That 42 number, the highest number for—well, he played—yeah, or excuse me, he's played 47, according to Tennis Abstract. That's the highest number since 2017 for Kyrgios. And you can just see he has the fitness now to show off his defensive skills that he's always possessed. He just hasn't always been able to sustain them for the course of a three out of five set match. But now another round of 16 for Kyrgios, who's up to number 22 in the rank. Rankings up to number 20 in the points race, and that doesn't include anything from Wimbledon. With his Wimbledon final, he'd be a top 10 player. He's fifth according to Tennis Abstract's ELO rating. You look according to the 2022 specific ELO rating. Kyrgios fifth, Medvedev seven. They're playing in the round of 16. Buckle your seatbelts, folks. That match is going to be fun. As of right now, Daniil Medvedev, 55.4% favorite over Nick Kyrios. Uh, outside of that, again, those were your men's matches. Shout out, I suppose, to Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, the only guy I didn't mention. A third, fourth round for Davidovich Fokina in his career at the majors. He made the most of Citzy Pass and Galan, getting, uh, excuse me, Galan knocking out Citzy Pass, bowing out in round number one. Davidovich Fokina had some tough matches. Fuchevich, tough one today over Galan as well, but ultimately now he advances to face Matteo Berrettini in the round of 16. On the women's side, talked about some of the results already. Again, Samsonova, Garcia, Golf, all looking impressive. How about Veronica Kudermatova? 18th seed, hasn't been broken yet this event. 6 2 6 love win over the former world junior number one, Golfy. And now you look uh, for uh, Veronica Kudermatova. She's currently sitting at a new career high of 12th in the live rankings, but perhaps more impressively, she's ninth in the points race this season. Kudermatova has come to play. That serve is a lead. She's moving so confidently, returning confidently because she's always building leads with that serve. Got off to quick starts, breaks in the first two service games of set number one and two today. She's cruised, and now it sets up a really fun match between her and the fifth seed own Jabbour, who survives. That's really the last match we got to talk about here on the day. Jabour a three-set winner, ultimately over Shelby Rogers. You look for Jabour 4-6, 6-4, didn't help that Shelby's first serve fell off a cliff. 58% in set one, 50% in set two, 53% in th- set three, although she was under 50% until the end of the set where things kind of tightened on Jabour. But I mean, look, Owens made the match physical enough that Shelby began to break down. Shelby Rogers, 25 winners to Jabour's 29, but 46 unforced errors to Jabour's 38 and she had to start forcing things because Jabour was willing to absorb that first strike because Jabor, if you gave her a half a second, was thrown in the drop shots. The slice is just not allowing Shelby to hit cleanly from any position on the court, let alone the center of it. I mean, look, for Shelby, it's a really good, hard-court summer. Finals of San Jose, round of 16, Cincy, round of 32, U.S. Open. You look for Shelby now in the rankings. She's sitting at 33, which 29 years old, that's exactly where you want to be. There's a reason Owen Jabbour is now second in the points race. You look for Jabour this season, 41-13 and 13 overall. She's winning 76% of her matches. She's into the round of 16 now uh, at... For the second consecutive major, she's really only played two bad matches. She lost first round three sets to Daria Seville and Indian Wells. She loses first round Roland Garros three sets to Magda Lynette. Yeah, she loses first round to junction when in Toronto, but she had to retire from that match due to injury, and I don't think that's a bad loss. She has two bad losses in, what, 17 total events this season. Uh, obviously, she wins titles in Berlin, in, uh, in Madrid earlier this year, finals in Charleston, in Rome, as and Wimbledon, obviously, as well. She has been that good. She has been, you know, one of the perennial, and it's been a a rough year for the WTA Top 25 Club. She's been a Top 25 Club member all season long, one of just seven players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage, and just, again, has so many different weapons. Has the plan A, the serve, the plus one forehand, the ability to move forward, but the slices, the strong first step, the strength, the physicality plans B, C, D for Jabour as well-rounded as any non-EGA player on the WTA Tour. So another pre-tournament contender who straight set wins over Brangle. Mandlik. now the come-from-behind win over the power tennis of Shelby Rogers. It was a tough test for Jabour, uh, but ultimately she advances. And again, now she's going to take on another tough test, another big server in Veronica Kudermetova. But with that said, that's day five of the 2022 U.S. Open. Of course, you look at day number six. Fun slate of matches overall. I like the men's a bit more than the women because you can pick a name out of a hat and you're going to like the men's match. Alcaraz Brooksby, Sinner Nakashima, Rublev Shapovalov. I mean, those are your three headliners for sure. I would put Benchich Pliskova as the fourth most entertaining match. Then Nori Runa, Schwartzman, Tiafo, Muguruza, Kvitova, Collins, Cornet—you know, Nadal's pushed to the back burner. With all due respect, we've seen him beat Gasquet 17 times. I don't need to see the 18th as well. Of course, if you want to hear a preview of all of tomorrow's action, head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed, that Ace of the Day segment, not only offering picks, but also offering previews of each and every day's matches. Of course, for all of that content and more, head on over to our website, CrackRackets.com. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible shout out as well to our friends at tennis point for their support remember go to tennis-point.com use that promo code cr15 today with that said for our super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both Crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin we hope you all enjoy day six and we'll talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone